Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, May 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. Israel and Hamas have agreed to a ceasefire. We'll hear from the FT's Katrina Manson on whether it'll stick. And WeWork lost billions of dollars and more than a quarter of its members in the first three months of this year. Plus, a lot of people say the Federal Reserve's quantitative easing is causing stock prices to rise. The Fed downplays this idea. The FT's Rob Armstrong breaks down what all this money sloshing around the financial system actually does. All the Fed can do is push money out there and make me like money less as compared to stock. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The Palestinian militant group Hamas and Israel agreed to a ceasefire yesterday. It would end an 11-day conflict that's killed at least 230 Palestinians and 12 Israelis. It came a day after the U.S. stepped up pressure on Israel to end its bombardment of the Gaza Strip. But will this truce hold up? Here's our U.S. foreign policy and defense correspondent, Katrina Manson. From what people are telling me, this ceasefire could well stick. Both sides may couch what has happened as a victory in their own right, even though they would disagree with the other's reading of it. The thing is, this has happened before, of course. Uh, in 2014, this went on for, for much longer, more than 50 days. Uh, this time around, it's 11 days. People who look closely at the security side of things say that Hamas spent a long time building up weapons in order to find a reason to launch them. Um, the status of Gaza Strip, the, the role of Hamas, um, its relations with the Palestinian Authority, all of those are still in play and extremely fractious. More widely than that, Arab-Jewish relations inside Israel have really come under the microscope. And I think that is something that Israel is going to have to focus on in order to establish the calm that the Israelis clearly want. And also, uh, it has become an issue also for pressure from the U.S. The workspace sharing company WeWork continues to lose money. First quarter losses almost quadrupled to $2.1 billion compared to the same period last year. The company hemorrhaged more than a quarter of its members and spent hundreds of millions of dollars to restructure its properties. According to documents seen by the Financial Times, the losses were driven by lockdowns and remote working and a half a billion dollar settlement with ousted co-founder Adam Newman. Now, all this comes as WeWork tries to go public via a SPAC merger after a failed IPO two years ago. Here's the FT's property reporter, George Hammond, on what investors still see in the company. The prize, if they can make it work, is that I think co-working, flexible working, the space in which we work operates, the thinking, the consensus is that this is going to be a space that will do quite well out of the back of the pandemic as people look for short-term flexible space, which they can pop in and out of, whether that's startups or corporates thinking that they're going to just take on a little bit of overspill space while they wait and see how things settle. I think the view is that that market could do quite well. But the question for WeWork is, can they make it through? Can they get to the other side of that? But yeah, for WeWork and for investors, there is still this big question around losses. George Hammond is the FT's property correspondent. As the U.S. economy recovers, there's talk about when the Federal Reserve will ratchet back its ultra-loose monetary policy. The central bank's goal has been to support the economy during the pandemic. It's also driven up stock prices. But Fed Chair Jay Powell would disagree with that idea. 
We'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But first, back to the loose monetary policy. A big part of it is quantitative easing, or QE. Here's a reminder of how it works from the FT's financial commentator, Rob Armstrong. Quantitative easing is when the central bank goes out into the market and buys assets. So what has happened is that the central bank now has a security, usually a treasury, and whoever had the security before, usually a bank, but also other kinds of people, now has cash. That is the transaction that is called QE. Got it. So Rob, I got to ask, how exactly does that money that's flooded into the economy from the quantitative easing, how does it get into the stock market and drive up prices? Okay. Already, you have put your finger on the tricky part about this whole situation, which is the phrase, into the stock market. Suppose I am managing a bunch of assets, and some of those assets are cash, and some of them are, say, stocks. Now that the Fed has taken my treasuries away, I now have a bunch of cash relative to the stocks I have. And I say, gosh, I've got too much cash relative to the rest of my holdings. Let me buy some stocks. But the cash that I just got rid of by buying a stock, it doesn't magically turn into a stock. It goes into the pocket of the person who sold the shares to me. So there is still more money out there, even after I've bought stock. The money can't go into the stock market, except in the sense that increases the propensity of people like me to not want to have it and to kind of tend to move the money and do transactions, but there's still more money around, right? And this is a crucial point. So what happens is there's more transactions. And as more people are transacting in the stock market, there's a greater demand for stocks relative to cash. So at the margin, the price of the stocks goes up. It reminds me of this concept in science. Rob, if you'll indulge me for a second. There's this concept that energy cannot be created or destroyed, only transferred. And this is the same concept except with QE. I would amend your law to say money cannot be destroyed by the stock market. The point that I think is salient to the discussion of the stock market, the fundamental mechanism of action, I think, is by changing my preference for cash. I want cash less than before QE started because there's more of the damn stuff around and I tend to try to get rid of it. But the thing about preferences is that they are rooted in psychology. So if you thought it was just the money was pushed out there by the Fed and it became stock, it, it re literally went into the stock market, then the Fed could control the stock market. But in my account of what's going on, all the Fed can do is push money out there and make me like money less as compared to stock. But I still might change my mind for other reasons. What does Jay Powell, the Fed chair, say about all this? This is very interesting. So at his last press conference, some enterprising and intelligent reporter asked him, Mr. Powell, there's a lot of loony stuff going on out there in the stock market. There's a GameStop and all these other kind of meme stocks are going crazy and it all looks pretty frothy. And do you think you have anything to do with that? This is a slightly truncated version of his quote. He said, there is froth in the market and I won't say it has nothing to do with monetary policy, but it has a tremendous amount to do with vaccination and the opening of the economy. So he strongly played down 
the role of quantitative easing in pushing asset values up. And what's your thought? I think he has a very important job, and he's been very clear about what that job is. His job is to convince everybody listening to him that he cares about two things, unemployment and inflation. And he is going to be guided by what happens to those things. So, Right. This is the Fed's dual mandate. Dual mandate. So he can't go out there and say, holy guacamole, have you seen GameStop? That freaks me out. And he can't say, well, there is this important side effect of what we're doing with quantitative easing, which is that it makes stocks go kind of crazy. Because then people would worry, God, is a rising stock market going to make him taper off his asset purchases? So I think he has a professional and institutional obligation to play down the effect of quantitative easing on asset prices. And I think that's what he's doing. You can read more about quantitative easing, stock prices, the Federal Reserve, and Rob Armstrong's daily newsletter called Unhedged. We'll have a link to that in the show notes so you can sign up. And you can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from Howard Shannon, Gavin Coleman, and Michael Bruning. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.